Welcome to Story Shaped, the podcast about the stories that shape us and have the power to change the world. I'm Susan Cahill, debut children's author, and my co-host is the seasoned and wonderful children's author Sinead O'Hart. Together, we'll be taking you through some deep dives into the books that shaped us and interviewing other writers about their favourite and most influential stories. We hope you'll enjoy Story Shaped. story shapers and I hope you're having a wonderful Thursday and it's about to get even better because today we are delighted to welcome the wonderful Efua Traore, author of two utterly brilliant novels, Children of the Quicksands and The House of Shells. Uh, Efua grew up in a small town in Nigeria and the landscape, the people, the myths and the folklore of Nigeria directly inspired these magical narratives. In fact, the landscapes in her novels, the trees, lakes, forests and houses are intimately shaped of ancient and modern stories and in turn shape the lives of her protagonists. These are my absolute favourite type of stories, contemporary but intertwined with myth and folklore, where magic has emotional depth and emotions are deeply magical. Children of the Quicksands won the Times Chicken House Prize. And it was named one of the best books for children in 2021 by both the Sunday Times and The Guardian. The bookseller selected The House of Shells as one to watch, and we on Story Shaped could not agree more. These are beautiful stories about family and all its messy complications, about coming to terms with your past, about the blurring of the boundaries between the natural and the supernatural, and about the stories that shape us into the people we are becoming. If I'm also going to quote you, because I just love this quote that you extremely wisely said. I think every adult should read one children's book per month, seriously, or well, at least once in a while. Being around children, listening to them, reading children's books helps adults touch back with forgotten parts of themselves, parts of you that ground you. There's a particular open heartedness, fervor and optimism that kids still have. And this is often reflected in children's books. So FY, we are so excited to find out about the books and the stories that shaped you. And I want to dig into um, that idea of children's books touching um, or allowing you to touch with those forgotten parts of yourselves as well. So welcome. And hello, Sinead. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> hello, Susan. Welcome, FY. It's amazing to see you. I'm so happy Thank to be so here. Thank you so much for having me. Today. I'm really, really, really happy to be here. And <laughs> Wow, yeah, the introduction, I, I hope I can keep up with that. Um, yeah, thank you. I'm <laughs> ready to take off. <laughs> uh, so shall, shall we start with our, our the first question we always ask is, are you story shaped? Um, yes, I would definitely um, think I am. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you, you already said um, some of that in your introduction. I, I grew up in Nigeria. Uh, my dad is Nigerian and my mom is German. And in Nigeria, we do have fascinating traditional folk tales and myths of haunted trees or cursed families, um, legends about deities and powerful gods and goddesses and, and magical realms. And, and we also have some certain magical beliefs um, that kind of seep into everyday life and make you wonder what's really true. 
So in Nigeria, life is sometimes still intertwined with wisps of the supernatural, like in the olden days. Between all the modern aspects, you might still hear people consulting oracles because they believe they're plagued with a spirit child or, or cursed with some juju. And um, so some things are just accepted as supernatural and as, as things that cannot be explained. And um, I was this very imaginative kind of child. I was that child that often drifted away in thoughts, um, thinking of a funny or weird story or, yeah, just always, yeah, up to some mischief in their heads. And um, so, so you can imagine how I just gobbled up these fantastic stories. I remember I just, I loved imagining that they were really true or, or I just asked myself, what if that really happened? And, and then, in addition, I lived in, in this really magical setting of a place. It was a relatively small town and, and our house was at the very edge of town. So close to, to old forests and bushes and farms, and to nature. And my siblings and friends and I, we used to often go searching for mango trees or cashew trees. And, and we discovered the most amazing places like this red valley, um, which turned to a into a, a kind of mudslide in rainy season, it was fantastic. And, and when you called into it, it would echo back weirdly. And, and then obviously we would be thinking maybe spirits lived in them, or, or we discovered this desert where, where sometimes we would find footprints that didn't lead anywhere. And of course we would start imagining what that could mean. And um, then we, we found this lake, which was hidden behind dusty bushes with red muddy water. And then when we got closer, we, we, our feet were kind of sinking in and, and we, we discovered it was like quicksand. And so I think in, in that magical place in my childhood, I think that's where the storyteller in me began to form. And I never actually, I actually never wrote until much later in, in, in life. But I remember just sitting somewhere like up in a tree and not doing much, just, yeah, fantasizing. And um, often it was about the possibility of magic. I've always been fascinated by what you mentioned earlier, that, um, that thin fuzzy line that separates the real world from the supernatural and that, that point where, where the things that happen might transcend the laws of nature and just, yeah. So, so that's, anyway, to, to come back to stories that shaped me, <laughs> um, the thing is, we hardly had any um, any of these wonderful Nigerian tales in books, which was obviously quite, yeah, um, unfortunate, quite sad. I mean, we we had books, we we had this, we were lucky to have this amazing library full of books from all over the world um, in this little town where we live. But unfortunately, there were hardly any books there for children that were set in Nigeria. We just had the handful of of Nigerian books we read in school. So um, apart from an odd collection of traditional tales that would pop up with someone once in a while, we, we kind of just got to hear about these traditional stories from someone else. So maybe a parent, an uncle or grandmom. And, but there was one, there was a, um, there was a show on television um, in the late eighties, early nineties called Tales by Moonlight. And that was a really fantastic show. It was um, a Nigerian show and it was produced in the style of 
the storytelling of the olden days. So there would be an auntie, I think, yeah, that was just her name. I think she was just auntie. And she would sit beneath a moonlit tree and children would sit around her on little mats and she would tell them a tale or two. And she would, she always used to start with saying story, story. And then all the kids would say story. And so that kind of, if you ask anybody in Nigeria who grew up in that time, if you just say story, story, then they'll just answer story. story. <laughs> yeah, so, and oh, then, I love that. So it was kind of, it was call and response, um, yeah. traditional style. So sometimes there would be songs and then the children would respond. And um, so that was actually, fantastic and even though the show was actually it was really simple it wasn't anything fantastic it was just this lady and the kids and the animations or, or the the acting of 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 the tales was was all very simple but nevertheless I think as kids we, we needed these stories as a kind of anchor um, and for me especially as a mixed race kid um, I, I, I think I needed them because growing up, yeah, growing up anywhere in the world as a mixed race kid does come with some, yeah, complexities concerning identity and belonging, obviously. And because no matter where you are, you, you never quite fit in um, 100%. But obviously you want to belong. So um, growing up in Nigeria, I saw myself as Nigerian and I wanted to identify as a Nigerian kid and not having any books in which I saw myself, um, I guess it must have left some kind of hole in me somewhere. And I think I filled that with, with, with loving these traditional stories because that's where I could see um, myself, people like my friends, my ancestors in them, and I could kind of connect with these tales. So, um, one part of, of, of the, sh those are one part of the stories that shaped me. And um, apart from these traditional stories, I loved reading as a, as a kid. I, I devoured um, books like, as I was, like I said, we were lucky to have this wonderful little library and which wasn't really um, so common in Nigeria. And so we're lucky. And it had, yeah, the, the entire collection of all the, the classic books at the time. So I read uh, Enid Blyton's Famous Five, um, Mrs. Pepperpot, um, uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, and then I also owned a few books that were German. So, um, which I also loved reading, like um, Astrid Lindgren's um, the, the Children of Bulabu. I don't know if that's the title in English, but um, I think something a day out in, I can't remember the title. And then also Ottfried Preussler books like The Little Witch or I think The Water Sprite or so might be the translation. So um, I think what I liked in all those books were, was that sense of adventure, discovering exciting new things. Um, I've always loved, yeah tasting new food or traveling, um, learning about new new things, new people especially. And so I think that's what I, I took out from those books. And, and also I like the idea of kids taking things into their own hands. Like I remember sometimes I would um, pick up my rucksack and then I would want to go and off into the bushes and also be an explorer and an adventurer. And then I would um, 
unfortunately, I never really had things you would need um, as an explorer. <laughs> I didn't have a pen knife or, or a bundle of rope or tape or whatever the kids in books always um, carried around with them. I just, the only thing I always had was a torchlight because everyone in Nigeria has a torch in case there's power failure at night. So um, I definitely had a torch in my rucksack, but um, my adventures were always during the day, so I never really needed one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was just fun and exciting reading about um, adventures, and especially since I lived in, in, in that kind of setting, it was really fun going on these adventures as well. And um, I liked strong girl characters, the the wild, energetic ones like me. I was um, I was always fastest, the fastest in my school, the fastest, faster than the boys. I was first up on the tree, always getting into trouble, <laughs> and um, I was often the the how would I say the leader or the one. Yeah, I was the oldest of four siblings, or I am the oldest, and I was often the one who came with a very dumb idea, which at the time sounded like a great idea, but <laughs> yeah, then we would get into trouble <laughs> later on. And so I liked George in, in Famous Five. Um, I think she was she was the one who was, who was that kind of yeah. energetic girl. Yeah. And I liked Madita in Astrid Lindgren. And yeah, I just liked girls that didn't care about getting their dresses dirty. And um, I, I guess those stories kind of reassured me that it was okay to be a girl that loved playing football and running around barefoot. And yeah, so, yes. So um, that was, um, those were the books, the adventurous ones. And then there was also this particular set of books that really stayed with me. Um, in a very special kind of way. Um, they were called Tales From. I, I, I've tried to Google them, but I don't remember what the name of the author or the authors um, were. Um, it was just a collection of folk tales and legends from all around the world. And um, like I already mentioned, I was a huge fan of these type of traditional stories, uh, myths and legends, especially any ones that would give you that feeling that that had some hint of some possible truth in them mm. so there were tales from india ireland in uh, japan it was all over the world and i just i love that they took me around the world and um but i soon moved to the adult section i think i moved maybe a little early i don't know what age i was but i i just found it so exciting to be reading the same books that my mom was reading and she was the one who used to take us to, to the library, my siblings and I. And sometimes she would recommend me some books. And I remember just feeling so grown up and cool and <laughs> that I could go over to the other section. And um, <laughs> that's where I read uh, Little Women by Lisa May Alcott. And, and for the first time, I, I remember it was I was just discovering what a book could actually do to you mm. it completely broke me I was so shocked at how attached um, one could get to to characters in a book to realize yeah the power a book can have over you um, and I, there I also loved um, Joe I think was her, her yeah, name Joe. Joe. Joe she's the one who 
she's like me she was the one I could relate to like what you're saying is resonating with me so much especially this um the idea of like finding books that reflect you and reflect where you're from reflect your landscape because I think we've talked Mm -hmm. about this in the podcast before Sinead but the moment when like I because I grew up reading lots of like English children's books and had this kind of idea that like magic happened magic happened in England but it didn't happen in Ireland and remember (laughs) when I I remember when I read like I think it was Patricia Lynch um, an Irish writer and there was yeah she's brilliant yeah and like it was stories about children walking through Irish landscapes and meeting mythical characters and I remember the moment when I was like oh stories and magic can happen in my landscape and that being so profound (laughs) yes that's yeah, it, it it does, and you don't. Sometimes you you might not even realize it. Um, I just thought back the other day, and we would read books about, and they would mention things like radishes, or I, we never knew what they <laughs> were. We just didn't have them, and yeah, you would just you just lived with that. And um, yeah, look, yes, looking back, I, I I really would have loved some some more literature that would have yeah reflected and. And has have things changed in Nigeria in modern day Nigeria as well? Have, have are not, things better? No, in terms of books not availability of books. Not very much, unfortunately. There are mm. lots of amazing books um, for adults, but the children's section is still quite empty. I mean, it's improving definitely, mm. and I was really happy to find a publisher for my my books in Nigeria, and um, but but there's still a long way to go. That's such a shame because, uh, like, I don't know much about Nigeria. I know it's a massive country with incredible amounts of culture. Like, I mean, there's so many different cultures and different languages and different traditions. Yes. But I mean, it sounds like such a such a rich place with such an amazing, um, um, like such amazing riches to share with the world, but also with with with, with themselves. I mean, it's a, such a pity that there isn't um, a real focus in Nigeria on publishing children's books for Nigerian children to give them this richness of the beautiful traditions that they have um I suppose it would would there be an oral tradition there like would, would people hear tales from from grandparents and and aunts and uncles and things like that would that be a thing that people do or um, is there any way to get the get the stories into kids hands I I think not so much anymore because the kids are also into um television and like kids everywhere in the world today and yeah of course parents are busy working I don't think there's that much um being yeah passed on that lovely program you mentioned the the tales by moonlight program yes is is that on tv anymore or do they ever show it again no 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 it doesn't exist anymore that's still yeah, no, I was just I was reminded um, as you were speaking about your childhood, I was reminded of um, TV shows we had in Ireland as well, um, where, where people, you know, would sit and, and tell us, you know, just draw us into the screen with, with I'm going to tell you a story now. And there was there's a man in Ireland called Pat Inglesby, who's, oh, yeah. who's very quite elderly now, but he's such a such a hero to me. He's he's a magical like in our in Irish, we call him a, a Shanachie, like a, a storyteller. Um, and he had the very same kind of program. He he just sit you down, and the first place I ever heard the stories of my own country and and uh, you know spoken in in the the language of my own country would have been from Paddy Inglesby on on TV. You know, it was a real oral storytelling sort of a thing. And um, there's there's so much in you know where I grew up. There's you know down the road from us there was a there was a place we used to call it the, the fever hospital. Um, it was a place where people were uh, would have been treated for illnesses during the time of the Great Famine, um, in the 19th century. And like to us, it was a place where if you if you walked if you walked 
through it or if you went anywhere near it you were, you were walking among ghosts I mean it was just it was peopled with spirits of the past you know people you know it was just such a magical place like a scary place but also a very magical place and you know, Ireland's a country where you have people who have very deep religious faith, but also at the same time, if they have an illness, they they would easily go to they just as easily go to a healer, you know, who has who has the cure for it for whatever illness they have, as they as they would go to the, the church to pray or whatever. So I love that. I I really really loved listening to you talk about your your the folklore and the folk tales that that shaped you. It's it's such a beautiful thing to have, and it's such a beautiful thing to have a an appreciation for. Um, but it's a shame. It's it's a real shame that there aren't any books that are targeted. Um, but I, I hope that your your books then will obviously find um, a readership in in Nigeria when they're published in in your in your own country. Yeah, yeah. Quicksands is already in Nigeria, and I mean there Brilliant. are books, but it's just there, there's not many, and there are also not so many bookshops. So there has to be much more work done to really get kids to have those books in their hands. And yeah. Um, yeah, I just hope there will be some more support from wherever, from the governments or to to push, because I think there's there's so much just going, just so many stories that are being forgotten. And that, those are things I, oh, I, yeah. I feel I hate worry that. about. Yeah. yeah, I hate that. Nothing, nothing makes me sadder really than you know languages dying or or stories dying it's, it's such a such a such a sad loss to the culture i mean in yeah. ireland we're lucky that we have uh, the government does i suppose have a, have a really good role in it, it you know we have a great focus here on on books about folklore and you know there is a there is an interest in, in keeping you know interest going in in irish folklore so i really really hope that nigeria will follow that and that you know that um because I, I just think you've such a rich such a rich history such a rich Definitely. culture there it's such a pity and, to have it have it going yeah yes Definitely, mm-hmm. Nigerians are really—they're—they're um, they're amazing storytellers, and each mm-hmm. each ethnic group, each region have their own stories to tell. So the mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's a lot of potential there. What also struck me in what you were saying um, as a child is there was so much richness and um, magic in the landscape. So you were going out into the landscape, and you were encountering like it was firing up your imagination that lake with the the Alexander that red valley um so there's like there's stories in the landscape yeah there's stories in the landscape as well and sometimes I'm I'm actually quite sad that I didn't start writing when I was a kid I, I sometimes wonder why why didn't I but yes I guess you have to have some kind of inspiration or someone who might actually just tell the kid have you ever thought about writing that down? That sounds wonderful, or it just wasn't something. And and we hearing about authors, it wasn't also not something very common to hear that someone was an author. So it was really much later until I started writing. Yeah, we've talked to a lot of writers who say that um, that you kind of need you need a model. You need to realize that writers are real people who live real lives. Like the people who seem to start writing early had those examples. Like, you know, we had a writer whose father was a writer. So they started writing really early or um, someone who's knew a writer who lived in the same town. But otherwise, it's really hard to imagine yourself as a writer, as someone who can also tell those stories. Because, yeah, for a lot of people, writers are like dead people who live far away. <laughs> yes, and, yeah. and sitting down at your desk to write as a, ch- as a child, I always associated that with homework or yeah. writing boring essay. Mm. So 
that wasn't something I would just do on my own. I mean, you were doing <laughs> it sitting up in your tree, fantasizing. You were like you were writing without <laughs> physically writing. Kind of, yes. So yes, what other books would I say shaped me when I was growing up? I think there was also a point when I discovered, yes, when I discovered thrillers and gothic, oh. the gothic horror genres, <laughs> and I was absolutely terrified on like a whole new level <laughs> wow <laughs> when I was reading um it was the Sherlock Holmes cases I remember it was the speckled band and the hound of the Baskervilles that I read yeah. and oh, whew, it was really I just remember <laughs> I was so terrified and I think here again I love the fact that in those stories the initial suspicions um that they had there was something supernatural about that going on. So th there was some kind of haunting curse or something people thought until of course Sherlock Holmes came in and cleared up the matter. But I think that's also what I found fascinating about that story, those stories. And um, yeah, I think those were the, the stories I remember from my library times. Um, one, one last story which definitely left an impression was was actually I actually watched it as a series on TV first and read it later it was um, Chinua Achebe's um, Things Fall Apart which um, came um, to Nigeria as it came um, on TV as a series and it was a really big thing um, I remember my my entire family we were so we were so excited and we would eat dinner quickly to all going to the living room and then get ready for the next episode. And at the time, there weren't that many dramatic Nigerian productions or and there was no cinema or anything. So this, um, this series was a big thing. And we were really swept along by the tragic story of, of the protagonist of um, Okunkwo, who's this great man who prided himself in, in being strong and, and he never wanted to be weak or or seen as cowardly like his father. But in the end, Okonkwo is broken along with, with his people and his culture in the advent of the white man, the, the missionaries and, and colonialism. And Things Fall Apart is, it's, it's one of the first books to portray Africa through African eyes. So not through European or Western eyes, which at the time, portrayed African cultures as, yeah, often as, as primitive or as savage. And Things Fall Apart is, so it's, it's a very critical portrayal of European colonialism, showing showing the, the Igbo people, um, he's Igbo, um, as individuals with a very rich culture. And I just remember a deep, feeling a deep sense of loss when it was over, a kind of, of fear that something important was was broken and and that old cultures and and tradition had been trampled on and and pushed aside and and that they might one day be completely forgotten and i think that's where that that fear came where that i i always kind of carry in me that um that sense of loss um, especially in connection with old traditions and stories and um so after that, I think that was when there came a phase where I hardly read books because I became really busy and um, 
I had exams, new experiences. I moved continents. I went to Germany to study um, in, and in France as well. And then I began to work. And so books played a, a less important role in my life for I think 10 years kind of just flew past. And um, until I took a break because I was setting up a family and I was at home with my baby. And for the first time in my adult life, it felt like I had time to think properly. And I don't know if you've, you've had that, but there's a way life can just take over and you, you just forget to look deep into yourself and find out what's really important to you. You're just, you're just in the whole madness of daily life. Yep. And <laughs> yeah, you're nodding very rigorously. <laughs> You can't see you yeah. can't see us listeners, but we're all yeah, we're happily here to <laughs> We all know that feeling. <laughs> yes. And so all the, the the data sheets and numbers and statistics kind of seeped out of my head. And and slowly but steadily, those stories that I used to have buzzing around in my head as a child, they came back in. And but this time, for the first time, I, I really wanted to write them down. And so, and funny enough, all my first stories were set in Nigeria. I think, I think writing just came as a way of connecting me with home, with, yeah, with, which I missed. I was in Germany, my family was back home. Um, I remember one extremely cold winter when everyone was going crazy about having white Christmas. Oh, we're going to have snow at Christmas. And I was just like, I just moved <laughs> from, from, first of all, I just moved from Hamburg to Munich. And in Hamburg, you hardly have snow. And but I felt like I'd moved to the North Pole. And you like in the mornings, you would have to dig out your car. And if you were unlucky, you actually dug out the neighbor's car because you didn't remember where your car was parked. <laughs> so <laughs> this was not, it wasn't in any way funny or exciting for me. And I remember I sat down and I wrote a story about a December in Nigeria where everyone was going crazy about a dusty red Hamadan Christmas. And um, that's that's what I grew up with and what I could relate to. I mean, I like Christmas, but I, it doesn't have to be white. It doesn't have to be freezing cold. No, and... I lived in I lived in Montreal for eight years. And I have to say the snow white like because it snows from November until April constantly okay. and I was just like I can't no quite Christmas no thank you <laughs> had enough snow that's your yeah. life yeah yeah oh my god <laughs> yeah so I love I, I love that you like you went straight to the dusty red heat of Nigeria exactly. <laughs> yes yeah Christmas for me was always this it's also a special uh, the weather is also very special around Christmas or it used to be sometimes it's not so anymore depending on the the winds coming from over the Sahara and they bring in this fine dust that feels actually moms don't really like this or parents because they have to do lots of cleaning and dusting. But that's my memory of everywhere is there's dust on every every surface. And your when you comb your hair, it kind of stands like you were electrified because the air is very the air feels kind of electrified. And mm -hmm. because it's the dry season, so there are lots of bushfires. So for me, Christmas always has a smell of smoke in the air and it's kind of a bit windy, a bit cooler, but definitely not freezing cold white Christmas. So, um, yes, writing kind of started in that way, like connecting me back home. 
And I, when my kids were older, I used to love telling them my adventures um, as a kid and about that place I grew up. And so when one day I was looking for books um, for children set in Nigeria or Africa, and I realized 20 years later, there still isn't anything there. It was, it was even difficult finding any books showing brown or black kids at all. So um, that's when I decided to write Children of the Quicksands. And because I, yes, I, like I said, I wanted my children to have books they could relate to, characters they could identify with completely because they looked like them and um, or they, they came from the same country that they also originate from or, yeah, so that's what I, I wanted for them. And I remember at the time I read Chimamanda Adichie's um, Purple Hibiscus, which is an absolutely gripping and, and emotionally yeah, charged coming of age book. Um, and I remember the book made me feel proud and made me feel like I was right and we needed more beautiful Nigerian stories out there. Um, I mean, even if hers wasn't, wasn't actually a book for children or for, I mean, I think it was, it was for adults. adults yeah. It was coming of age and the, the, the protagonist was, I think, 15, is 15. So that kind of also just motivated me at that point in time. And so that's how I started writing Children of the Quicksands. And it grew, the story grew out of that magical setting, actually, that was my childhood. The lake I mentioned, yeah. um, that was where the, the story kind of took off. And um, yes, while writing all these stories, I just found myself including in those those old myths and legends. It just came naturally because, like I said, I guess it grew out of that fear of stories getting forgotten or, um, and yes, so that's what I just threw in there. That's exactly what that story is, isn't it? That Simi's been cut off from like the stories that her exactly. family holds and exactly, yeah. about her kind of needing to reconnect and reckoning with the power of those stories. Exactly, yes. So that's, that's how the story came about. And um, the House of Shells, is, is that one is built on the, the, the myth of the Abiku children, which are uh, children who, who haunt families. It's so uh, creepy, born. so brilliantly creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's how the stories, I guess, that shaped me, that, that I found most fascinating as a child, kind of found their way back into into my writing can I ask about because in both stories night and dark the, like the scent of darkness and nighttime is a very it's a terrifying time but it's also it's, it's a time full of the supernatural and full of magic um and I'm I was really interested in that um that idea of nighttime holding all of that terror and power and magic I, I think that's it has it's has always been part of the old stories that the nighttime is not the time where you want to be outside. And there are so many animals you also don't want to meet. One one of those um animals that also has a lot of a lot of myths around it is the bush baby. Um because it cries like a baby, it sounds like a baby crying. And so there are lots of myths around it that say. Um, it's trying to call you, lure you into the forest because it sounds so sad and like a baby and all sorts of stories about what could happen then. So 
Yes, it's it's just part of the. I mean, especially if you lived close to forests, I don't think you would have wanted to go out at night. So it's got a practical element to it too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and I suppose we've kind of talked about this, uh, or I, I hope anyway, we can get into it a bit more here. Um, we often ask people on the podcast, um, do do you see yourself as a shaper of stories for future generations of readers? I mean. Would that does that mean anything to you when you're writing? Do you do you actually do you think about the the people who will be reading or the children who will be reading your book? And do you do you have any hopes for what what how how it might shape them as they read your work? Does that is that a conscious thing or or an unconscious thing? Or um, well, with time, I I soon realized that obviously since there were only very few people writing stories for kids with a Nigerian or African setting, that there is an empty space out there in shelves with the title Nigerian, African, mm. middle grade books, adventures, fantasies. And with time, I realized that, okay, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm one of the few people filling that hole. And it did have me a little overwhelmed, <laughs> even scared at, at times, especially because often people reach out to me and ask for my opinion as, as if, I am that one knowledgeable person in African children's literature. And, and I'm just like, goodness, this is much responsibility. I, I just I just see myself as a storyteller among many. Maybe the others just haven't been heard yet, or mm. you know, but I'm just one of the ones who's out there now. And even my story takes place in a little tiny corner of just Nigeria. So seeing me as the African whatever it's those kind of situations make me very nervous I must say but um on the other hand when I think of when when I wrote Children of the Quicksand the writing journey was actually very wonderful because I I started reading it reading the book to my children while I was still writing it I just written like three four chapters in and then so I, I just cuddled in bed and I just started reading and and I was so surprised how excited they were and and they were the ones who who spurred me on and made me write. I wrote this book faster than I'd ever written. Up till then, the the idea of writing an entire book was actually had actually been quite scary because I would sit down and write for ages and then I would still just be at, I don't know, 10,000 words. And so for me, getting to that end was a huge thing. But when I read this book to the kids and they just kept on asking, so when are you writing the next chapter? And so what's going to happen next, mommy? Where is she going to go now? And so I just, I just found myself writing and it was, I don't know how to describe it. At the end of the day, when the book was ready, it felt like we had all gone together on this adventure and we had all been part of it, kind of. And it was, um, it was actually also very, I, I got so much back from the kids because while reading it to them, I got direct feedback. Yeah. So I could see it in their faces or they would clutch the, the 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 bed clothes tight and I would notice okay this is working it's scary or or oh that was funny oh I didn't even realize that or <laughs> or if they're looking confused then I'm like oh okay I have to work on that need to work on that one yeah yes so it Brilliant. was such an amazing process and it gave me so much it just when, when I finished I just felt like okay I have to share this with other kids I have to have other kids 
reading this and and feeling connected in some way and and that's just where i guess the the that's where to come back to your question where i began to see myself okay this is something amazing that i could do here and so maybe yeah maybe that's definitely something i want to do and continue to do so fantastic it's like it's like your story was shaped by its readers, you know, and, or, or, by, or by its listeners, maybe. In a way, yes, that's incredible. I love that, but um, I just I, I love the idea that maybe a young Nigerian child of you know of of great imagination and and as you were in in your own childhood, like sitting in the tree, uh, fan, fantasizing about these wonderful stories, and 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 would have your book to go to, like we know, and when they go to the library, they don't have nothing on the shelf. They have Efwatrore, and they have hopefully lots of other people will will join you there, and they can pick these books up and read them and and go on to create something amazing themselves. I mean, that's that's I think it's really so important when when you're a child who who has this. I don't know, like this urge to create inside you that when you see a book that you really chime with, that really tells you something important about about what it is to be human, what it is to be a creator, what it is just something that really resonates with your with your heart when you're young. It, it can change your life completely and turn you into a creator, turn you into an inventor, turn you into whatever you're going to be. Um, I just I love the idea that I really hope that your books will, will reach your readers and that your words and your fantastic stories about Nigeria um, will will help them to grow to go on to be whatever they're going to be at these wonderful kids that are that are growing up now um you know that there was a gap there when you were young yeah you're you're filling that gap now and hopefully other people will step in and help you fill that gap too um it's a really yeah. important thing and are there any other do you know of any other sort of authors in in your in in your age group or you know from the same or similar kind of backgrounds to you that would be writing children's books at the moment in Africa or set in Africa can you think of anybody yes well um yeah. there's also Sabine Ade Sabine yeah yeah she's coming yeah. up soon she's gonna Gonna be on the oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I loved her book. It was such a sweet book, and it just threw me back into my childhood. And I was just chanting some of her songs <laughs> along oh, while I was brilliant. Reading. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was so happy to to read her book. And and I also know that my publisher in Nigeria is also bringing her book to Nigeria. Oh, I was so happy about Fantastic! That. That's amazing. Yes. And uh, there's also Tola Okogu with mm, yeah, um, with um, Onyeka and the Academy of the Sun. And which also plays in Nigeria. And she's also, her book is also coming out soon in Nigeria. So yes, definitely there's now going to be some, something, there's something happening there. So that is, that is brilliant. That's I'm made me very, so happy. very excited about that. <laughs> Um, because I think there's there's been I suppose and maybe it's always been the case, but I, certainly since my childhood, I've noticed there's been a resurgence or a kind of a constant I suppose trickle or flood at times of, of of children's books in Ireland that are about Irish folklore, um, and they're so important. I think for for giving kids and giving even adults, you know, who read them uh, this deep appreciation for for the the wonder of of the stories that, that have shaped the country mm -hmm. that they live in. It's so important for every country, and I'm thrilled. I'm so happy that uh, that yourself and Sabine and, and Tala are are starting that um, uh, that that yeah. flood in Nigeria. <laughs> that, that's amazing, um, um, and. Are there any books you're reading at the moment that are that are shaping you currently? What are, what's what's on your bookshelf right now? Uh, um, <laughs> I've been reading. <laughs> I've also um I I've also started writing YA. Oh, and I've oh wow! I've been reading some uh, YA um, of recent um, that is set in in Africa or West Africa, and 
And that has also been very inspiring. YA is a, is a bit ahead of, of middle grade. So there have been more books, um, especially since, what's her name? Um, Tommy Adiemi's. Tommy Adiemi, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. What was it? Children of Blood Children of Blood yeah. 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 Since since then also there has been, before then already there was always, um, what's her name? The book is titled, in Nigeria it's titled What Sonny Saw in the Flames. Oh, Akata Witch. Is the, oh yeah. Oh, oh, Akata, Akata, I love Witch. Yeah, that book. Akata yeah. Witch. And that's a, a, a trilogy. I think. No, there are more yeah. books. And um, that one is set in Nigeria. And it's amazing, especially also because she has all those mythical and uh, traditional um, things she throws in. And um, so she has um, been writing for a bit longer also. And um, then there are new, new authors as well. Um, but like I said, I'm very terrible with names. There's Ray, Ray, Ray Bera. There's a book, The Skin of the, the, Skin of the Sea, that is Skin on my to-be-read pile. Yeah, that's also yeah. my red pile. And then there's the Gilded Ones. That's yeah. amazing as well. And the Ray Bearer, I loved that as well. And um, yeah, so so there have and there, there, there are loads more. So YA is so much more advanced in that aspect. And I've been reading those books as well um, to get into the whole YA thing, YA feeling. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh, that sounds really intriguing. What drew towards <laughs> YA? Um, I've always loved. I've, I I don't think I ever stopped reading YA. Yeah. Um, I I always still. I don't know what what it is, but may or maybe it's also because my kids have grown. Mm. So now I I can't really get them to cuddle in bed with me and read my <laughs> middle grade books. <laughs> um, I mean they would, but um, I think I I've kind of grown with them as well so I, I still would definitely always write middle grade because I think that's such an important moment where where you can really yeah where the kids really need to see themselves in books and so I will definitely always want to have middle grade books as well but I also want to go into YA and I love romantic situations and falling in love <laughs> and all that and you can't do that in why in uh, middle grade middle no grade, no not i yet. think that's yeah. why i like middle grade is because i don't want to have to write about <laughs> that. To do like that nonsense. Yeah, well, no. okay, writing some particular <laughs> scenes can be a bit weird but i mean just as uh, getting to know each other and, and falling in love that yeah. part of the thing is also fun so oh i can't yes. wait to read your YA. <laughs> and so can we be can we be cheeky and ask as ranting uh, have you any contracts for any of these YA books or are they just for yourself at the moment or very uh, very con currently being uh pitched so brilliant yeah well i have and, no doubt uh, i have no doubt they'll be picked up soon that they sound amazing i hope so that would be really amazing and my next middle grade that one is is coming up for sure next year probably around the same time june july or something but i'm, I'm not very sure yet and so i'm i'm doing the edits for that one yeah, does that have a title that you can share um no the title no. <laughs> no, i don't know how it is for you but the title sometimes can be quite a, a problem right yeah I'm, I'm, yes I, yeah yeah so I um, hard. we're not yet <laughs> really we've not yet decided on the final title yet okay but is it with, is it with chicken house as well yes it's a chicken yes house. they're a fantastic publisher they do such amazing yes. work and I mean, yeah. I love and the they... titles of Children of the Quicksands and the House of Shells are such good titles. I'm sure you'll... Yes, yeah, I'm very happy with them. 
and, and your, covers, your covers are, yeah, they're are so beautiful. beautiful. Who's the who's the, the cover designer? And um, Helen Crawford White. She, she does all the um, chicken heads, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah, she does a lot yeah. of them. I remember when I first saw the Quicksands cover, I, I really squealed. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't blame it. you. It's beautiful. <laughs> I just love the colors. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's gorgeous. They really are amazing. Well, uh, I think that's us wrapped up for today, but it's just, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you, Effa. Thanks so much um, Thank for, you for, for, for being me. with us. It's been so interesting. And uh, I love, I love how much I could relate to in what you were saying about your love for the folklore of Nigeria because it's exactly how I feel about folklore in general but folklore of Ireland mm, in particular too. it's it's just beautiful it's beautiful and I really hope that your books are and the other books that you mentioned as well are going to are going to bring on a whole new generation of, of Nigerian readers and creators and artists and activists and everything else the world needs it's it's amazing um and it's, it's been true. a it's been a privilege to speak to you today it really has thanks so much for Thank sharing so, so much of your of your life and your and your process and your and your stories with us it's, it's been a joy thank you thank you so much <laughs> but um until next time then we'll uh we'll bid our story-shaped pals farewell um and as always, if you liked this episode, I'd really, we'd really appreciate it if you would take the time to rate and review it somewhere and share it with anybody you think would uh, enjoy listening to wonderful authors like Afwa talking about the wonderful stories that have shaped their lives and their work. Um, we're here every week uh, with a new guest and um, hopefully we'll be coming every week as long as there are guests who want to speak to us. So uh, so please do share the podcast around with anybody who you think might enjoy it. Um, and thanks so much for being here with us this week. Um, but until next week, we shall say farewell. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Sinead O'Hart. Goodbye from Susan. And goodbye from Effa. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Story Shaped with Susan Cahill and Sinead O'Hart. Follow us on Twitter at Story Shaped Pod. And don't forget to subscribe on the streaming service of your choice so that you never miss an episode. Music by Tony Betts. Mm-hmm.